0: Drawing from his 20 year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matter. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now, your
1: host for new focus on wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, certified financial planner. If you have a money question for the show, certified financial planner practitioner, so you can ask me about taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing. Basically, any money questions, fair game except for the individual stock buy, hold, or sell. Because if I say something and talk about a stock favorably, I can't touch it for a few days, and I've got my shopping list ready. It's Fed Decision Day. They're going to raise some rates to fight inflation, especially as we look at the great resignation, right, where people are switching jobs for more money left and right. And as we see oil nearing 90, thank you, Russia, for that. Um. Was just listening to, a show in Bloomberg talking about, uh, you know how the supplies out of Russia are going to affect them, and if you remember what they did is, back in 2020 when they, you know the whole world's fighting COVID and they decided to, basically alter oil prices. So, not a fan, not a fan at all. Been a big cryptocurrency beat down lately. Um. But people are recognizing it, so I started to get some questions on you know, where do people go to buy it? Do I invest in it? I don't like the ETFs and things like that that have been created so far because they're high fees and then they're using futures to invest and there's a lot of price, mispricing there. So um, number one, if you're going to buy cryptocurrency, make sure you are very secure in terms of your computer <laughs> <laughs> and a dual authentication password type of a situation because I've seen a lot of people be hacked and lose their wallet and things like that. So, um, basically, if somebody's you know seventy years old and they've got a five year old computer that hasn't been updated and they have their passwords written on a book next to the computer, you should be buying cryptocurrency. Sorry. Um, let's take a look at the markets and where we're at because. I mean, we're really barely a correction here. I mean, if you look at the highs and some of the highs, like in small cap was back in November, we've hit the correction levels, but we're, nothing's really hit that 20% down plus level except the very speculative garbage stuff out there. S p 500 down about 8.5%. Um, and when we kind of break stuff down, it's really technology. If we look at the... 11 sectors of the stock market Um, just value stocks in general are down only about 2.2% for the year, but tech is down 15.66% healthcare is down 13 consumer discretionary is down 12.2. So that's where the, you know, a lot of the stuff that did really well over the last couple of years is, is giving some back right now. And that's healthy, normal. It's part of the process. So a couple of ways to break it down. The S&P 500 is down 8.5%, but that's very market cap weighted. You got a lot of money in that, that index. Really, it's not across 500 companies. It's mostly in the bigger names like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google. Um, the equal weighted index, the RSP ETF, for example, is down 6.13%. So that's going to be more value tilted and a little bit lower down into the mid-cap range. Now, the Russell 2000, which is small and mid-cap, but also a pretty good chunk into biotech is down 10.16% for this year, but it's off 18% from November high. So we've already seen a decent, decent correction in an area that to me in a 10 year period looks more attractive. And, um, you know, you, 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 try to pick this stuff up and, and, you know, all through your allocation, maybe even with your 401k contributions, when it's down, that's when you want to buy. Not when it's outperformed for five years plus all other asset classes, but when it's lagged a bit and it's down significantly. That's that's when you start buying. Not not oh, I'm going to alter and change to I'm going to make my 401k what my spouse's 401k does because theirs has done a little bit better than mine over the last five years. So I'm going to match their funds, and then you turn around and you get hit with a correction. Yeah from from the November high, uh, small cap value down. while uh, small growth is down almost 19%. So it's that more speculative area of the market that a lot of money flew into, whether it's technology, biotech, healthcare, small cap, go, go, go growth. That's where we've seen close to a bear market now with that 20% correction. So that's kind of the areas that you want to shop at. Um, again, we've, we've just gone through this period where almost everybody I look at in their portfolios is so overweight, large cap growth. And they're missing a lot of other asset classes. And now's the time to start contributing differently, funding your 401ks. You can change the funds you're investing in. You're funding your IRAs and Roths and backdoor Roths for last year still. Maybe that's where the money should go. So if you look at, so yeah, a, a couple of ways I like to break things down when I look at the overall stock market. Okay, where's the true corrections at? Where's the opportunities at? If you look at like a ETF like MGV, which is a mega cap value ETF from Vanguard, it's down only two point two seven percent for the year. Again, while tech is down, you know, it's, depending on what ETF you look at, thirteen and a half to sixteen percent. Um. So yeah, I did. I did a little altering when I looked at my own asset allocation. I switched some of my 401k contributions to go heavy on small cap and international emerging markets because I was a little light there because my large cap growth had outperformed so much. And when I finished funding my backdoor Roth for 2021, that will likely go into small cap and emerging markets. Um, also, I, I, I'm reading a little bit of experiment that I'll tell you guys about because... As you guys know, I really love dividend achiever approaches to investing on large cap and mid cap and even an in international it's starting to gain some ground. Um, so I put some equal amounts into uh, some more of the indexing approach that's always been out there. But also there's several fund companies that are switching to ETFs, mutual fund companies that are switching their funds over into ETF exchange traded funds, dimensional funds which is kind of the leader in what we call smart beta, which I'll explain in a minute, is also doing that. Mutual funds, we had another year in 2021 that reminded us that they can be pretty tax inefficient by the the way that they're created. And they only trade once a day. So yesterday when I was buying a few things personally, my ETFs, when I was putting the buy order in for those early in the morning yesterday when the market was down, they were. Those orders were filled immediately while I had to wait for the end of the day for the mutual funds that I bought in my 401k to close because mutual funds only trade once a day. So was it uh, Monday when the market was down 500 points and then recovered all of that? If you would have bought a mutual fund in the morning when it was down 500 points thinking you're going to get a good price, sorry, you got the price at the end of the day. So ETFs are more efficient for trading Uh, They're also, the way they're structured, less likely to kick off phantom capital gains. And that's when you buy into a fund in a taxable account. This doesn't matter in your IRAs and 401ks. It's just in your taxable account. Or if you buy into a mutual fund that's had a lot of success over the last couple of years with a stock, and then you buy, and then a few days, a month later, they decide to sell a stock that they've owned forever. It distributes a capital gain onto you, and you have to pay the tax. Now, it increases your cost basis for the future, so you eventually get that back, but it means you pay Uncle Sam early and that's something you want to avoid. That's why you got to really be careful with your asset. Not only asset allocation, but your asset location. Where do you buy different types of investments between large cap, small cap, international emerging markets, tax-free bonds, taxable bonds. You've, you've got to be smart. The average, according to Morningstar, the average investor loses about 15% of their return per year to taxes. CFP is, uh, to tell you what that is, is you have to go through courses it takes anywhere from nine months to two years or now there's a college degree personal financial planning degree which huge demand so tell your kids about it um taxes you have to take courses and in taxes insurance estate planning retirement planning investing and pass exams pass a at the end of that part of the process is a 10-hour final exam that's given over two days it has a national pass rate of 55 percent so That means 45% of the people fail it the first time because it's very difficult and have to go go for it again. And you have to have a certain amount of continuing education. So if you couple a CFP, Certified Financial Planner, with a fee-only fiduciary-based style of doing business, you know you're going to get unbiased advice. You're going to get advice where you have options. Like, okay, this is your situation. This is you know, three possibilities of the right way to go about what you're trying to do with your financial decisions. Maybe here's the one I would do, and what sounds right to you. And that's how it should approach. Um, I keep seeing, keep taking over portfolios of people that get charged 1% or more for just an actively managed account of mutual funds where there's a few trades a year and really no financial planning, no big picture, no way to log in and see a long term cash flow projection tax projection, Roth conversion options, and really no clarity. They don't really know what they're paying for. So if you need a second opinion, just go to chadburton.com. we got a team of CFPs for you. Let's talk a little bit more about what's uh, going on in the market today as we wait for the Fed decision. So if you're listening to the podcast, doing the show on the early, early morning of the 26th, and that's going to tell us about interest rate increases. and. We're looking at where is the market truly done a full correction here. Now, emerging markets are outperforming the U.S. So if you look at an ETF like EEM, which is not a recommendation because, you know, if you've been listening to more active management when it comes to emerging market investing, I'm not a big fan of China right now. Um, Emerging markets down 1.29% versus the S&P 500, which is down 8.5% as of yesterday, although futures are up today. A lot of emerging market countries had already raised interest rates. So they're a little bit ahead of the curve there. And I know I've been talking about this for a while, but we've gone through a full decade of emerging markets underperforming US. And usually that doesn't last. And, and emerging markets are very volatile in nature. You get years of 30 to 40% returns and then a 20 the following year. It's very volatile. But if we look at emerging markets... And so if you think of international developed, you're going to think of like Europe, Germany, you know, the bigger countries, emerging markets. China's thrown in there, but China should just really be its own thing, right? It's not really, I mean, it's emerging because their middle class still has a lot of growth, but it's such a large country. You can look at ETFs out there that cut out China, like XCEM, I've never invested in it. I mean, just kind of pulled it up today just to look. Um, You're looking at a yield of one point. 84% four percent so SP500 is about what 1.2 1.3% dividend yield right now so higher yield weighted average PE ratio of 12 a forecasted earnings per share growth uh, um, of 11.62 and a 5 year earnings growth projection of 21% um, so and again SP500 was actually a 1.36% dividend yield a 25% current uh, price-to-earnings ratio and a 21 forecasted PE ratio, so higher end. Um, The only reason why that's warranted is because of low interest rates. Otherwise, the market would be too expensive. And a five-year earnings growth of 13% versus a five-year earnings growth of 21% expectations for emerging markets. See? See what I mean? So you got... We've got in the U.S. higher PE ratios, higher price to earnings. You're high, you're paying more for each earnings, each each earnings. <laughs> you're paying more per share for the earning assigned to that share. Essentially, I guess is a way to try to explain that. Early in the morning, I'm still waiting for my coffee to kick in. Um, and the SP 500 has a, le- a lower earnings growth, but it's the U.S. right? It's less volatility. There's less political issues. It's currency issues. I get it now there's been a lot of talk lately of okay you're looking at the s and p five hundred and you're seeing a lot of the pullback of eight and a half percent is tied towards technology right and again a lot of tech to- stocks got really expensive in terms of price earnings ratio but also the revenue growth of some of these companies like microsoft and amazon that's that's why people are paying top dollar but in the world of investing it's kind of like these discounted cash flow models right you're always you know what would you pay for the series of cash payments from dividends and earnings for this stock? And when you do those calculations, you use some sort of an interest rate. And when interest rates go up, it 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 makes it so that the stock looks more expensive, and that's why you're seeing a pullback. And I'm even seeing like permables, like Jeremy Siegel, thinking that uh, you know tech will likely hit that bear market situation of a 20% pullback. We've not quite got all the way there yet. Um. But when I go shopping for stuff, I'm shopping for returns for 10 plus years out. Um, and look, in, in, in my life going forward, I'm, I mean, it's it's exciting the stuff that's going on between science, technology, healthcare, biotech, gene therapy. I mean, we're going to live forever, right? Not that we want to, but. It's going to be possible, so I'm not afraid of continuing to buy that stuff. But I'm also not afraid, like I told you before, to add to emerging markets, international, small cap. When we look at RSP, which is that ETF, that's the equal weight, where instead of the S P 500, which is very top heavy, you know, weighted towards those larger companies, RSP, if you had 500 bucks, you'd have a dollar in every company in the S P 500, But it's got a lower PE when you when you get less of the money into the Amazons and the Microsofts and the Apples. The P is a little bit lower. It goes from 25 to 20.6. And the forecast P-E ratio goes from 21 to uh, 17. And 17, that's totally fine in a world of low rates. And even though we expect the 10-year to get 2.5% by the end of the year, if not more, even if it goes to 3, that's still way lower in terms of interest rates than where we were in 2007, let alone the last 28 years that I've been doing this. So I just don't expect it. Look, I'll, I'll go on to the inflation here in a moment, but before I do that, I want to get stay on this international topic, because if I look at EFA, which is an ETF EFA that is international developed broad-based ETF, it's down only four and a half percent. So both EFA and EEM have outperformed the & p 500 this year in terms of the downside. That is showing a yield of 3.48 percent for dividends 16 PE current and a 13 forecast of PE. Now the five-year earnings growth is a little less there at 13.86, but this is why you're seeing money move into emerging markets and, uh, international again this year as it got trimmed out of the stuff that just crushed it the last two years, which is tech healthcare and things like that. So you're seeing a, that rotation and that value play holding firm, whether it's value, you know, cheaper stocks in the U S or whether it's, uh, just cheaper stocks globally, right? So, you know, keep, to keep that in mind, inflation. I talked about this on the last podcast a little bit, but even Janet Yellen came out today and said, you know, rates are going to go up, at the, but she said uh, substantial inflation slow down next year, and the labor market is strong.
0: Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for twenty five hundred dollars per month
1: with no nightly rates, taxes or fees. You might call it the Suitcases Always Packed pass. Or the wait. I get to choose from one hundred thousand trips pass, the will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for twenty five hundred dollars per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. Talking a little bit about inflation here. Uh, as as we wait for, you know, Fed decision on interest rates and we've got Canada, other countries even talking about raising rates to slow inflation down. It, it's going it, to be difficult for small rate increases to slow inflation this year and next, but it's going to be a substantial difference going down. What, what's causing a lot of the inflation that's just weird to me that people aren't talking about as much as th- this massive amount of stimulus that went into the economy in terms of those PPP loans that I keep Hammering on where businesses were able to get a big dump of money just by showing, um, you know, payroll and, and and basic numbers on their business because everybody thought their businesses were going to get crushed during the shutdown, and it turns out they didn't. But all this money came in anyway, so they used it to hire, expand, invest in capital. Uh, uh, you know, take the money out of the company, go buy a boat, wh- whatever, right? It's it just, it just created a ton of velocity in the economy. And that has led to this idea that people, okay, well, we know businesses are doing really well. They have all this money. They need people really bad. So, well, you better pay me more money or I'm going down the street. A couple of things that I think people should consider is that we're really, we have not seen a recession for quite a while. I don't know when it's going to happen, but they do. And if you go from a job that you're well paid at with decent benefits good culture and everything else you jump ship for ten twenty thousand dollars you're all of a sudden the new person and as soon as that recession hits and layoffs come you're the first to go whereas at the other company you would not be the first to go so keep that in mind a little bit um, you know we're we're dealing with a, a workforce that has a very short-term memory in terms of how hard it can be to run a business and how when you run a business you need to go through the good years and build up cash reserves and things like that and invest in the future. Um, now I will say though, that you know, lower income, it's where they're well overdue for uh, an increase. Um, I see friends, uh, people that I see struggle the most are people like um, single moms right now that daycares keep getting shut down. So they're having trouble working and, and balancing everything else and, and just paying rent. I mean, people shouldn't have, if you're working really hard and you're doing the right thing, you shouldn't be struggling that much, right? Um, so there is some good out of this great recession. But at the same time, getting back to my original point before I get too sidetracked, as I, like I said, waiting for my coffee to kick in today, um, inflation, it, it will slow down a little bit. It, it will. It's not going to run at 7%. Um, and so, you know, I, I just don't see the 10 year treasury jumping well above like 3% by the time this is all said and done. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not a bond trader or anything else, but the US has issued a lot of debt and all of this, and they don't want rates to go up too much. So they're going to try to get ahead of it while they're already kind of behind it. But I don't want to see them act too aggressively because a lot of the inflation is caused by that PPMe money, which will the velocity of that will kind of slow over time. And Supply chain will get fixed eventually. Basically, everybody and their mom has now had COVID. And in some cases, twice. I know people that are vaccinated and boosted and have had COVID twice, and I'm and so I'm sure you've got those stories as well. Um, and so it's it's going to be something that we learn to live with, versus we're shutting down the country all the time. Now, if you have a lot of cash to put to work, if something happened, like I met somebody the other day that retired and so they've got almost 2 million in cash of the 401k that they rolled to an IRA. They kind of got spooked to where the market was so They hadn't put the cash to work. Average your cash in. Make a non-emotional investment plan is the best way to do it. Now, if I look back on the over 28 years that I've been doing this, most of the time that I myself or I've told somebody to average that cash in over say a three or four month period, I've regretted it. I wish I would have put it all in the market at work at once and started collecting dividends and interest because 70% of the time the stock market is positive. So 70% of the time you wish you would have just put it all in. But that's really hard for people to do. When I see people get a windfall, whether it's I won the lottery, I inherited money, I got a big stock options that got liquidated. Um, or I quit and I have all this money from stock options that I had to exercise or w- whatever, right? They sold a, a, a rental property, something like that, and they want to get it to work. It's hard to not put it all to work, fully invest it, and then watch it every single day and, and get emotionally tied to the daily movements, which is very unhealthy when it comes to investing. Very unhealthy. Especially in a day and age of 24-hour news in your face talking and overreacting to movements in the stock market. I would pick an asset allocation strategy. Maybe that's you know 65% stocks, 35% bonds or whatever it is. And of that bonds, maybe 5% of that's in commodities or something like that. So pick your asset allocation strategy. Start averaging in. I like to go, say, over four months where you divide it. Every two weeks, you put the cash to work, non-emotionally. If it's a bad day in the market, still do it. If it's a really good day in the market, still do it. Just do it non-emotionally. Now, the only time you change your strategy over that four-month period is if you get the big corrections. Then you might accelerate it. But never not do it. Never skip one. And what I would do, what I've been doing, is having the fixed income portion or the bond portion go in last. So averaging in on the stocks, Interest rates have been sliding up. Bond market was negative last year. So far, it's negative this year. I'll do the, the the fixed income portion last on that averaging in strategy. Now again, interest rates will likely go up and bonds will struggle a little bit. But I know that, you know that. Many bond fund managers already know that and have f- increased their cash levels. This big amount of cash that people got from stimulus checks and PPP loans, that'll fade a bit. The labor market is strong. The underlying economy is really strong. Um, and uh, it's still a you know big believer in stocks. Right now, the 10-year treasury is yielding close to 1.8%. Last week, it was yielding almost 2%. So bonds down 1.8% for the year. A little bit of an improvement versus last week because stocks went down. So bonds went up and rates went down over this last uh, couple of days. Now, again, I'm assuming about 2.5% by the end of the year on the 10-year treasury. Um so what what can you do? Well again just still average in you still need fixed income in your life you have core bonds you have strategic bonds like floating rates and and other types of bond funds so if you're confused what to do there that's the time to get a certified financial planner and start helping build the right portfolio. Um you know bonds not not important for somebody that's 45 or under but as you start to get towards retirement you need that fixed income piece not for outperforming the market and growing but just for stable Income and things like that. So what are we doing? Well, if we, we have started to pick up some individual bonds. When we have a portfolio to work with of over $1 million that's allocated towards bonds, we can still find some decent deals. I've talked about a bond alternative could be the stable value fund in your 401k. Check the stable value funds in your 401k. Yielding about as much as most core bond funds without the interest rate risk if you're really close to retirement, too heavily weighted in equities and you're not too excited about trimming, you know, let's say you got a, a million dollar portfolio, which is, you know, not enough for retirement these days, but let's say it's 2 million. So you're, you're supposed to be, you know, allocating 80,000 or more to bonds at this point in your life. Um, and uh, you're just not too excited about doing that. Well, you could there are some decent options out there in the terms of no-load variable annuities. I'm going to tell you again and over and over again, most of the annuities that you hear about or are marketed to you on television, radio, wherever, are total garbage. If there's a commission involved, they're garbage. But there are some decent low-load versions where you can come and go whenever you want, where you can take your bond money. It's supposed to be invested in bonds. You you invested in a balanced portfolio of stocks and bonds inside of a no-load annuity contract. And the company says, no matter what happens, we'll pay you, you know, four to 6%, depending on your age for the rest of your life, starting at age 65. As long as you live, even if the account goes to zero when you're 85, they'll continue to pay you. And there are a few decent options out there, but it's, it's only right for a certain window of life. Like if you're going to retire at 65, you can start considering those things between the age of like 60 and maybe 75. Before that, it's too early and you're paying too much in fees for no reason. And after age 75, it gets to be a little bit too late to do it. Um, and it starts affecting you know how you leave money to other people. So be very careful on that. Don't get advice from people that sell it for a commission. There are some no-load, or uh, uh, not no-load, but no-commission fixed annuities that I've seen lately where you can lock in rates of about 3 3.2% for five years. When I got in the business 28 years ago, we were locking in stuff like that. When annuities used to be attractive, a lot, very, you know, very attractive. 28 plus years ago, 6% to 7% guaranteed for 10 years with highly rated insurance companies. That's the difference in rates. That was like a guaranteed double of money, right? Um, and, but inflation was a little bit higher. Interest rates were higher. Our mortgages on our houses were 8.5% back then. And so interest rates have come way, way down, which makes that safe money, that fixed income portion of the portfolio a little bit more difficult. Stocks are easy. If you give stocks 20 plus years, you're going to average 10, 11%. It's the the bonds right now that aren't giving us a heck of a lot of return, but we still need them in our life, right? Um, Now, can you be more aggressive? Can you be more aggressive as you get close to retirement? That's what we need to talk about. It's okay to be more aggressive, but you have to have the stomach for it. You have to have the asset allocation and the plan to trim to continue to replenish your cash. All right. So we're talking about, can you be more aggressive in retirement? When you know, I got into the business, the balanced portfolio was more of a tradition. It was either you know, 40% stock, 60% bonds, or kind of a 50-50 approach. And that's changed drastically where people are going more aggressive in retirement. Why? Well, it's because interest rates are so low. They're half of what they were. They're really a third of what they are, uh, what they were when your parents and grandparents retired. So it's more expensive to retire now, and we're living longer, which makes it even more expensive. Healthcare costs tend to rise at 5% inflation. So It's already beating that, that normal average. Um, so t- t- people are looking at it and say, okay, gosh, I can get almost as much dividend income yield from a uh, value ETF in the U.S. or even an international developed value ETF than I can on stocks. So if I have enough income from my dividends from my stocks and my real estate, do I really care about the price fluctuation on a year-by-year basis? Well, you say no, but most people still panic and react a little bit. So if you're going to be more aggressive, you have to realize you're going to have a bigger swing in your portfolio. You're going to go through periods of time where you see 20, 30% corrections. Just think about how you felt in April of 2020 during COVID or in March of 09 at the bottom of that Great Recession correction. And then, you know, maybe you weren't even investing back. I I remember what it was like in the year 2000, 2001 and 2002 where the market was negative three years in a row after the tech bubble. So you can definitely be more aggressive. One, if you've got you know, if, if, if you've got, you can stomach the volatility. That's, that's number one. You have to make sure you're never going to panic sell. Uh, number two, you have to have diversification in what you're being aggressive with. So if you're more aggressive and you have more stocks, but it's all just S&P 500, which is now a large cap growth tech-oriented index, you can't be, you have to be more diversified. You have to have large value, large growth, small value, small growth, mid-value, mid-growth. International and emerging markets, all in the mix there. Um, The other thing you have to do is make sure you have very proper cash flow projections, including all of your expenses, taxes, healthcare costs, and everything so that in retirement, you know exactly how much you're going to pull from your portfolio over and above your dividends and interest, your social security, your rental income, and everything else because Money that you need over the next three years should not be in stock. So you need three years' worth of those principal draws in cash. And if you manage your cash properly, where every quarter you're rebalancing your portfolio, peeling off the growth to replenish your cash, your cash should last you five to seven years through a correction down to the bottom, back up to the recovery. Uh, I'm starting to see too many people go into retirement because this is why you've you know so many people are retiring which is allowing other people to resign their current job and take a new job for more pay. But those people that are retiring, they've watched their stocks in their real estate increase in value quite a bit. So they're, okay, I'm comfortable to retire. And then they wait too long to make the changes in their asset allocation. So you've got to do that now. If you're within five years from retirement, you should be changing your allocation pretty drastically and realizing your dividends and interest, realizing how much principal trials you're going to have. And you have to remember to include those random expenses like home remodels, weddings that you have to pay for, continued college costs. Love stocks, but money that that you need in the uh, next three years should not be in the stock market because you never know when those black swan events come. That's the stuff that causes the corrections that nobody's talking about. With a lot of this inflation recently too, lots of question on I-bonds. I bonds, if you listen years ago, something I was telling people to go get because you could buy $30,000 per account. So there's ways for, you know, people to get more than that as a couple. And they had a base rate that was attractive. They had an inflation rate that made the income very, very nice. They're, they grow tax deferred. And when you cash them in, you only pay taxes at the federal level, not the California or Oregon level. And because of inflation rates, all of a sudden, I-bonds are getting a ton of press because they're currently, the the yield, the base rate is still zero. The other rate on an I-bond, if you're going to learn about them, is tied towards inflation. And and inflation is very volatile. So you got to look through the treasurydirect.gov and look at the historical rates of inflation that they've paid. They're going to drop. So if you're buying I bonds now thinking you're going to get three and a half percent every six months or a yield of over seven, it's not going to last like that. Uh, their five-year investment is still better than cash, but look, I think you can only buy like 10 grand at a time. You're going to want to buy them electronically through your trust if you have a trust because there's two things that are the biggest pain for us to settle when people pass away. It's government bonds are a real pain to deal with and individually held stock certificates or where you hold your stock at a bank of like New York Mellon or computer share, do your heirs a favor and get rid of that stuff before you pass. (laughs) There's such a pain to deal with when it comes to a state settlement. Not that you should make your overall driving decisions on it. Um, But you do have to think about it. I mean, I run into people quite often that, you know, they worked for a company for a little while and got some employee stock, and then they couldn't find them. So they issued shares direct, and it's either in certificate form or, like I said, computer share, Bank of New York, Mellon, one of the other ones. And it's those little things that, when we go to settle in the state, can hold up the final distribution and the state settlement for a long time because they want these stupid things called signature guarantees. Have, has anybody tried to get a signature guarantee lately? Hardly any banks are doing them. It's a, it's a pain in the butt. It's like, Okay, here's a signature guarantee. Is that like a notary on steroids? It's like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And they're harder and harder to get, but yet they always require them. So uh, I, I do like I-bonds, but I do want people to realize that the rates are not going to continue at this level. They change twice a year, so don't be too disappointed if you get them. Um Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. If you need some financial planning help, your retirement plan, detailed cash flow management, a website where you can see every single aspect of your financial plan, your retirement plan, how long your money's going to last, different scenarios, check it out. Just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Facebook, LinkedIn, iTunes, and all the podcast links are all there at chadburton.com. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show.